This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by <clears throat> the good folks at Bet Rivers. And remember, for all your wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey. Play Sugar House in Connecticut. A couple of things before we get to some emails. Uh, really bad loss for the Yankees last night. Now, listen, the Yankees aren't in that bad of shape. I, as I said the last time we talked that they are on their way to solidifying a wild card position. I don't think there's any question about that, but their offense is embarrassing. Let's be honest. That was a totally embarrassing loss last night. The A's are historically bad. Their pitching is historically bad. They don't score runs. They didn't last night. They scored two. But two was enough to beat the mighty Yankees, who just can't get out of their own way uh, without Judge, and Judge could still be out a while. Donaldson hit a homer, and after the game, I actually watched Aaron Boone say that Donaldson is loaded with confidence. Huh? Donaldson in his last 15 games is hitting 114. Yes, when he does hit the ball, when he does make solid contact, which is once every three games or four games, he hits it out of the ballpark. He has power, okay? He has showed that this year. He has hit the ball out of the ballpark this year, when he get, but he doesn't get any, any other hits at all. In his last 15 games, he's hitting 114, and that's a guy who is loaded with confidence? Are we serious? Since Stanton has come back, and when they need him most, when they don't have Judge, he is pitiful. He isn't bad. He's pitiful. He can't do anything right. When he gets a, a cookie, he can't hit it. When he finally, when they hang a slider in his eyes that he normally would hit out of the ballpark, he, he either pulls it foul or, or misses it. I mean, the Yankee, you know, Rizzo's come out of it the last couple of days, but not with any power surge. A long time since Rizzo hit a homer. He has looked better the last couple of days, but hey, they have nothing in the way of offense up and down the lineup. And, you know, they, you know, it's amazing how bad they are offensively. And it's night in, night out. I mean, last night, uh, McKinney got neutralized. He's been their best hitter the last couple of weeks. And he had, uh, you know, hit the ball on the line last uh, on the nose last time up. But the bottom line is, right now you go down the line. Lemayu is struggling mightily. All right, Bader, let him get back in the mix. He's been okay, but he's hitting two forty. Rizzo has had a disastrous slump. Stanton's slump is epic. 
Bowers has a little power, but, you know, nothing special. He's hitting 225. Even Torres is hitting 249, and that's like a bright spot. Donalds is in the lineup way too often, hitting 132 for the season, 114 for his last 15 games. And the one bright side is that Volpe had three hits last night, could have had four hits last night, and actually has his batting average over the Mendoza line. So he actually is headed in the right direction. But the Yankees last night went into Oakland with a meager offense that had one guy in the lineup hitting over 250. One. And the on base, if you say, well, batting average doesn't matter, I understand batting average doesn't matter, but it's still an indication of how guys are going. And their on base percentages are worse. The Yankees lead the world in OPS guys who are in the sixes. LeMayu's in the sixes. Kind of Falef is in the sixes. Stanton's in the sixes. Donalds is in the sixes. Volpe's in the sixes. Chavino's in the fives. They can't score. They can't score. They never score runs. And this is, you can't tell me this is all about Judge. I understand Judge is missing and he's, a, you know, he's the best player in the league. I understand what he is. I'm not arguing that fact. No one is. But this is embarrassing now. And these guys can't even get out of their own way. And Oakland, I mean, they, they were just coming off a game where they gave up 12 runs in Toronto. And they've given up double-digit runs in, you know, 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 runs. So many times this year, you can't even count them all. They came into last night's game 20 and 60. That is on a pace to break the Mets' record for futility. They're on a pace to win 40 games in a 162-game schedule. And the Yankees open up the trip losing 2-1. to one. And can't get a hit with anybody on base. Embarrassing. Now, the Mets finally get a win last night. The story there, though, is Epler spoke yesterday and forget what he said about his own situation and what he is responsible for. What he did was he gave Buck a big vote of confidence, big vote of confidence. Now, Cohen's going to speak today. We'll react to that after he does. He's going to hold his State of the Union. He has promised to be open and expansive about everything with the Mets. So let's see what happens when he uh, meets the media. So he is going to uh, hold the press conference, hold the State of the Union today. So uh, we will react to that when, and again, I think the message is very clear, because Epler wouldn't have sent it yesterday, that Buck is going nowhere. And I told you, I didn't think he should. You don't, first of all, he's Buck Showalter. Secondly, he didn't get stupid overnight. Now, he's always been quirky with the bullpen. 
That's been part of his history. Okay, no one. You, if you watch a season, you're never going to love everything Buck does with the bullpen because he's odd with it. But and Buck is clearly responsible for their lackadaisical play, their lack of energy, their lack of execution. Hey, he's as culpable as anybody else. I agree with that. But if you thought bringing somebody else in was going to make a difference, you would do it. it it's not going to make it. It's not going to make Verlander better or Scherzer better. They those guys don't need some you know thirty eight year old or forty year old manager to come in to motivate them. The bottom line is they have to play better as a team. And they have a really bad bullpen. And they're erratic offensively and they're erratic defensively. That's who they are. So we'll react to the uh, owner's State of the Union after that happens uh, later on today. Now, emails, as we said. You can uh, reach me at MikeFrancesaPodcast at, Mike at gmail.com. So send your emails along. We'll come back with your emails right after this. As we said, MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com. Let's get to some emails, see what's going on. Mike, your point about Lindor's power as a shortstop is dead accurate. He hit his 200th uh, home run, places him ninth all-time for the position. Uh, Kyle Ripken tops the list with 353. Listen, when you have a guy who makes the plays at shortstop and Lindor makes the plays at shortstop, he might make an error here and there, okay? But he makes some phenomenal plays and he plays every single inning of every game. So that's to his credit. He's got range. You saw him make a great play in the hole and a jump throw last night on what was a classic play uh, by Lindor. And Lindor is on pace in what most people would deem a bad year to score 90 runs, hit 25 to 30 homers, and not get 100 runs. Listen, if your shortstop fields his position and is 30, 100, you are in a very, very rare spot with a shortstop. You don't find any shortstop historically who do that, okay? So the bottom line is I understand you don't want to see him hitting 215. You also want to see him be more consistent. You clearly want to see him be more consistent from the left side of the plate because he's so much better from the right side. But all switch hitters, are better from one side, and most of them, you know, are deadly right-handed. Bernie Williams was deadly right-handed. Mickey Mantle was deadly right-handed. Deadly. But they don't get a lot of at-bats right-handed. We know that. You're going to get a 30-year at-bats right-handed. You're going to get two-thirds left-handed, and the guys who are switch hitters believe in switch hitting. They, they always want to have the curve in their favor. And the bottom line is that when they are left-handed, they usually uppercut the ball, hit the ball much higher, don't hit it on a line, don't hit it as consistently, and in some cases don't hit it out of the ballpark as much. Bernie was much more powerful right-handed. Lindor is much more powerful right-handed. That's all there is to it. 
but he can drive it a long way left-handed, and so could Bernie. So could, uh, you know, Mantle. Mantle. Well, Mantle could drive the ball to the moon. But the bottom line is right-handed, he was a – I mean, there were years when Mantle hit 400 right-handed. So, I mean, you know that. There's going to be a strong side, so you live with that. And you still get productivity from the left side. It's just not anywhere near what you get from the right side. But remember, you only get a 30-year bats from the right side. Anthony in Brooklyn. I believe Keith Hernandez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I know he does not have the prolific numbers required for Cooperstown. However, he might be the greatest defensive first baseman of all time. Yes, but it's not a position where defense will ever carry the day. It's not shortstop. It's not center field. It's not catcher. So it's not going to be that middle infield position that's going to carry that, okay? Yes, he's a great fielder, but it's a position where he is being equated against guys from his generation, and their guys at that position hit 500 home runs and had higher batting averages than him and knocked in 100 runs and 125 runs every year. Tony Perez was an RBI machine, okay? Willie McCovey, Willie Stargell. Think of the guys that he has to compete against. You know, first baseman's loaded it up. Keith was a good, really smart player who was an all-time great defensive player. But I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Let's be honest. You don't go to the Hall of Fame. And this is not, and, 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 you know, people take this as a knock. It's not a knock. It's not a knock when I say guys are not Hall of Famers. Hall of Fame is for the rare of the rare. It's for the best of the best. It's not for the good player or the really good player. It's for the legendary player. Okay? That's what it's for. But when you are a lifetime 296 hitter, you want to go to the Hall of Fame and you hit 100 home, 160 home runs and never hit 20 home runs in a season, knocked in 100 runs once, scored 100 runs twice, played great defense, hit 296. But if you're going to hit 296, Guys like Rod Carew hit 338, 339, Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew. You either have to do one or the other. You either have to hit for a prolific batting average and win batting titles, or you have to hit home runs and knock in runs. There's no in between. Keith's a 296 hitter, hit 160 home runs. A Keith Hernandez year was 1590, you know, or 1889. That doesn't get you to the Hall of Fame despite his defense, at first base. So, I mean, yes, he was a winning player in every way. And you'd love to have him on your team. And he's a really good baseball player. Bernie Williams was a really good baseball player. He's not a Hall of Famer. You can cherish him as a player. You can cherish his clutch in the performance in the postseason. You can, you know, talk about all the things he did, all the games his teams won, everything. But he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, Willie McCovey's a Hall of Famer. Keith Hernandez is not. That's the difference. And it's not a knock. It's just fact. 
Joey Mails asks, historically, the go to the media person for uh, our teams, who do you think is, uh, what do you think Leon Rose's obligation is to talk to the press and the fan base? Listen, I think GMs have a responsibility at times to answer their team questions, uh, answer their fans' questions in any way that they deem the forum to be. As long as they get their opinion out, their word out, and they keep their team, their fan base abreast of what's going on. Team presidents, you know, they don't have to speak. You have to have a decision maker inside an organization who will relay to the fans the thinking of the organization. If the owner wants to do that, fine. If the GM wants to do that, fine. Uh, your manager has to meet it every day. Your executive, the one you deem as the voice of the franchise, can do that periodically, but it does have to be done periodically. Brett Longbeach, as somebody who goes annually to a different MLB ballpark, I was curious to hear how many you've been to and then, uh, if you have a favorite one. Well, my favorite ballpark, and I've said this many times, is Fenway Park. Uh, it's my favorite ballpark to sit in. I love the setting. I love watching baseball there. Uh, I like what it brings. I like how uh, the quaintness of it. I like the idea that it isn't cookie cutter. I never liked symmetrical ballparks. Um, I haven't been to some of the newer ballparks. I had been to most of the ballparks in the major leagues. I had been to most of the stadiums and most of the ballparks in the United States at a point, but now there's been some new ones and I haven't been there since they built them. I always liked Camden Yards. I liked Coors Field. I liked Jake. I liked those ballparks that they built. But my, oh, I was never totally enamored with Wrigley Field. Thought it was overrated. I do love Fenway. I think Fenway is the ultimate baseball experience, even more than the old Yankee Stadium. The old Yankee Stadium was special because of the people who played there. It wasn't the ballpark that made the stadium special. It's the fact that Ruth and Gehrig and DiMaggio and Mantle you feel their presence when you go into the ballpark. You realize that the history of baseball has been told in that ballpark. So that's what you take from Yankee Stadium, and that can't be duplicated anywhere. But as far as just the facility, and I even love how they modernized Fenway, what they did with the left field seats. I've sat in the left field seats. They're great. That's a fun night up there. It really is. We've done it. Done it a couple times. So I love that park. Okay? I'm not into this whole Yankee Red Sox. I can't like anything Red Sox. I don't care about that stuff. But the bottom line is, uh, that's my favorite park. By far. Leo Matawan. I think coaches should stick to who they are, but Buck's laid-back demeanor is starting to sound like co <laughs> Listen, 
Baseball is not football. Your job in football is to give your team a game plan and get them to play hard. That's your job as a head football coach. That is the essence of it. Give them that a game plan. Give them a game plan that can win. And get them to play hard. In baseball, you play every day. Baseball is an individual game played inside a team concept. But it is still an individual game. Nobody can block for you. Nobody can throw a block or set you up for a basket or set you up for a good shot on goal when you're in the batter's box. You're there by yourself or you're on the mound by yourself or you're fielding the ball by yourself. So you have to execute individually. And it's a game where getting angry or getting intense doesn't make you better. In that way, baseball could be like golf. You know, in golf, if you get mad, you don't get better. You get worse. In baseball, if you go to the plate angry, you, you're not going to execute. That's all there is to it. You just, you just don't. So it's a different game from that standpoint. But I understand that when a team continues to lose and you get this very monotone, Drivel, and that's what it is after the game. And that and drivel is what you've gotten from Buck recently. You've gotten monotone drivel because what else is he going to say every night when the team stinks? What do you want to do, throw the guys under the bus? He's got to manage these guys. He's got to try and get something out of them. If he throws them under the bus, he's Buck Showalter. They're not only going to hate him. Most of those guys feel that Buck could ruin their career. He's Buck Showalter. He has... He has some weight behind his words. He's not, a, he's not some goofball manager. He is a manager who has always been respected. So the bottom line is if he buries kids or buries players, it's going to hurt. And he knows that. Now, is he too monotone? Yes. Does he give silly answers sometimes? Yes. They all do. Because they're trying to protect their team. And they have to meet the media every day. So you meet, if you're an NFL guy, you get up in front of the media on Sunday, your team had a bad day, you go in, you're angry, you take some questions, you get in a couple arguments with the media, you blow off some steam, you know, and you get out of there. And they don't see you again for a couple of days. Okay? You don't have to be there on Monday. You don't have to be there on Tuesday. It's a dark day. Wednesday, you're going to meet the media again. Then you can start talking about the next game. So, but in baseball, you're in a losing streak. You stink on Monday. You're worse on Tuesday. You're worse on Wednesday. You blow a game worse on Thursday. Now you've lost five in a row. And you've got to be there every single day. And it's the same thing over and over. And 
there's a tedious, there's a tedious nature to it. There's no question about it. And it sounds like just monotone dribble. Yes. Do I think Buck has sounded very uninspired? So I've heard people say, oh, Buck has lost the team. Well, anybody has lost the team when the team stinks. Whatever they do is not working. But Buck lost Diaz before the season started. He's gotten very little for the season out of Scherzer and Verlander. He's gotten very little out of McNeil. He's gotten, he's had Alonjo hurt. He has had a very erratic year out of Lindor. Other than Nimmo, he has not gotten a really good year out of anybody. And their bullpen's awful. It adds up. But he's the same guy who last year at this time was the toast of the town on his way to a 100-win season. That's how it works. You're a genius this year. You're awful next year. I don't think there... Listen, I understand there are times where you have to change the manager. I didn't think this was one of them. And I think that's what you're going to get. So if you think that Cohen's going to get up there today and, and fire Buck, I don't think that's happening. As a matter of fact, I think he will support him. Tommy in North Carolina, do you pay attention to uh, international grade one horse races? No, I really don't. Unless we're running, unless I got a horse running in one of them, I really don't. I pay attention to American grade one racing and to American big time racing. Don't pay attention to international. I, I really don't. I don't see much of a correlation, to be honest with you, what goes on in Europe or what goes on in the Middle East I, I, or what goes on in Japan. I don't really care. Now, you're going to see those horses sometimes. You know, we've gone to Dubai and lost to a Japanese horse two years in a row by a nose. Uh, it happens. Walt from Weston. I was shocked. Okay. I was shocked by how far Cam Whitmore fell in the draft. I was hoping the Knicks would pull off a trade to get him uh, to add to their Villanova grads. Well, Cam was anything but a Villanova grad. He was there about, you know, half a season. Um, what is your take on why he fell so far? All right. There were two stories going around. Number one, he had had some injuries. He had broken a thumb. He had, had broken a leg. He had some medical flags for some teams. And when that guy has some medical flags and he starts to and he might go in the top five, and now he's slipping, and he's slipping, then everybody starts to pass on. Plus, it was reported in a couple of places that he did not interview well, that he was a little surly. He did not come off very well. But I was also told that he had an incredible workout in front of all the teams. So... There was a real mixed bag on him. He paid a price maybe for his attitude. And I think he did have an attitude at Villanova, so I think he still probably has one. He's a young guy who's got a little bit of an attitude. Uh, 
Does he have injury problems? I saw him last year, and he didn't look like he had any leg problems from what I saw. Uh, they did have to wait for his thumb to heal. Um, I know he had suffered a broken leg a couple of years earlier. I didn't know there was anything they had to worry about, but I did hear rumors that he had some teams had flagged him medically. I think he was an absolute steal at that position. I think he is a top five talent. But he does have a bit of a toot. He needs to straighten that out. Edward uh, asks, realistically, I know that Bernie is not a Hall of Fame player. But can you compare him to some guys who got in? Listen, they have let some guys in the Hall of Fame whose credentials are not that great. It happens. It does not mean they're supposed to count or compound the mistakes. I always think that the way to judge Hall of Famers is there should be no debate about the guy. The ones there is a debate about, you can make a case that they should be in, they shouldn't be in. Okay, that's fine. The one with the Hall of Famers for the places where there's no disputes, that when a guy retires, he's going in on roller skates. Those are the guys that the Hall of Famers for. The other guys who sneak in, some guys do sneak in. And then people want their guy to get in. Bernie Williams was a really good player. And he was an incredibly clutch player. He was a winning player. He played his best baseball, like a lot of Yankees did in that era, in the postseason. He lifted his game in the postseason. He was incredibly clutch. Uh, he was a classic player. He played his whole career. He played the most, the, really the most famous position in all the sports, center field for the New York Yankees. And he had a really productive career, a wonderful career, a career to be proud of, a career that will make him a cherished Yankee for history. But he's not a Hall of Famer. Case closed. He didn't have a Hall of Fame career. Very few guys do. Justin in Florida, Roy McIlroy is the consummate professional. He always says the right thing. He was the guy that the PJ leaned on during live. But I feel like in the last 10 years, he couldn't make a clutch punch to save his life. Hey, all true, including the last statement. How many major tournaments have we seen this guy in contention? Hey, Rory is as good a driver of the golf ball as there is alive. Case closed. Nobody drives the ball consistently any better than Rory. Nobody hits it any higher. Nobody hits it any farther. But he will hit an incredible drive, and he will leave himself 80 yards with a wedge and then hit the worst wedge you ever saw to a part of the green he never should have hit that he should have put it or another golfer would have put that within three feet of the cup and he put it 32 feet away and gave himself a hellacious butt. Then there's the times he gets up there and he can never make a big putt. You're right. He can't make a big putt in a big tournament to save his life. He is a terrible clutch putter and he's great tee to green. And his putting has cost him a lot of championships. Case closed. Everything you said was right about him. Justin emails, it's been 10 years since James Gandolfini passed away in Italy. Wow, that's amazing when you think about it. His performance and portrayal of Tony Soprano still ranks as the greatest acting I have ever seen in a series. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. I think there's a couple of people 
that really stand out. I think that we've seen some recent performances by actors in certain series who have been just stupendous. But I think there's a couple of TV performances that just stand out. Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker stands out as not only being important, it was one that changed television. Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini's Tony Soprano is a tour de force. It's one of the great couple of performances in the history of television. He's one of the great television characters of all time. No question. Hands down, uh, in my mind, top three and maybe the best. So I would not argue with that. I liked Gandolfini. Got to know him a little bit. on that when, you know, We wouldn't hang out together. But we was always very friendly whenever I saw him. Uh, we did go visit. Dog and I did go visit the studio a couple of times to watch them shoot The Sopranos. We spent some time with Candlefini. I did a couple of events with charity events with Candlefini. I saw him uh, at a couple of other events where we hung out a little bit. I spent some time with him at different times. I really liked him. He was a good guy. He was very different from Tony Soprano. Uh, he was not a sports fan. He knew us very well because he, his driver was a big Mike and the Mad Dog fan. So he used to listen to the show every day. That's how we got to know it. So that's how we got to know him. Uh, but uh, he was gone way too soon, and he was a brilliant, brilliant, ta- uh, brilliant talent. But when you see him in something else, whether it's in Night Falls on Manhattan or The Mexican or uh, The Last Castle, you still think Tony Soprano when you see him on the stage. On, on, he, that part was so important and so special that he's what you see. You see him as Tony Soprano all the time. And that was something that I think was a little hard for him to shake, despite the fact he was a superb actor in every way. We will react to what Cohen says, so uh, we'll see you down the Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.